Greetings to those who watch below. It's everybody's favourite day of the week, Friday, which means it's time for another stop on our paranormal US road trip, and today we're heading down to Tennessee. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership you can check out using the link in the description box. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B., Jess Black Hurting, Christina Groves, LT Punisher 666, Chris BLK Chris, and our newest member, Canopsia Art. Thank you so much for joining us below. Also, before we start, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. You can also find me on Instagram at brimstone underscore below and on Facebook at brimstone below horror channel. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Skinned Tom Skinned Tom is an urban legend from Tennessee about a young man named Tom who came to a grisly end. His ghost is said to haunt lovers' lanes throughout the southern United States. The story goes that in rural Tennessee there lived a young man named Tom, he was handsome, witty, charming, and athletic. What's more, Tom had an eye for the ladies, and few could resist his charms. Every girl in town eventually fell for Tom's good looks, but he was never satisfied. As soon as he had romanced one girl, he would break up with her and move on to the next. Before long, Tom had dated almost every single girl in the local area. In search of more romance, Tom moved on to pastures new and began driving to the next town over, hoping to meet more girls. Soon, he came across a beautiful young lady named Eleanor. She had long blonde hair, bright blue eyes, and a curvaceous figure. Tom was smitten with Eleanor, and they began dating. There was just one problem. Eleanor was already married. But Tom didn't let that deter him. In fact, he enjoyed the excitement of sneaking around and having an affair with a married woman. The pair would often meet late at night in the local lover's lane and make out in Tom's car. Tom and Eleanor made little effort to keep their fling a secret, and before too long, the folks in town began to gossip. Eventually, Eleanor's husband got wind of what was going on and was driven insane with jealousy. He vowed to get revenge on the two of them. He told his wife he was going out of town for the weekend. Then he hid in the woods behind their house. As he'd guessed, that evening, Tom showed up to take the lady out. The husband followed them to the nearby lover's lane. Tom and Eleanor were locked in a passionate embrace, when all of a sudden they heard the car door open. Standing there was Eleanor's husband, his face was twisted into an evil grin, and his hand was clutching a hunting knife. Tom was scared out of his wits and began begging for his life. He swore up and down that he didn't know Eleanor was married, but the husband just didn't believe him. The wronged husband grabbed Tom by the ankles and dragged him out of the car, still bearing a sadistic grin upon his furious face. Please don't kill me, begged Tom. Oh no, said the husband, I'm not going to kill you, I have something far worse in mind. With that, 
the husband dragged Tom off into the darkness. Cowering in the car, Eleanor couldn't see what was happening, but she was forced to listen to Tom's blood-curdling screams as they pierced the dark Tennessee night. Finally, her husband emerged from the darkness, his clothes covered in blood. Without a word, he climbed into the car and drove to the local police station where he turned himself in. The next morning, the police drove up to the crime scene and made a horrifying discovery. Hanging from the branches of a tree was a pile of human skin. They realised that the husband hadn't killed Tom, he had flayed him. In fact, the jealous man had skinned Tom so deftly and carefully that Tom was still alive at the end of the ordeal. The husband then had draped Tom's hide over a branch and left him for dead. The police searched the area, but Tom was nowhere to be seen, and they could find no trace of the hunting knife either. They say that Tom still lurks around the lover's lane, waiting to catch a cheating couple and teach them the same lesson he learned that fateful night. Once a handsome young man, he is now just a bloody skeleton, stalking the alleys and laneways with a big hunting knife clutched in his bony fingers. All of the teenagers in Tennessee are warned by their parents, don't go to the lover's lane if you don't want to be skinned Tom's next victim. The House in Beach Bluff by Dime Time 99 Many years ago, I moved in with a good friend whose house was way out in the sticks of this weird gravel road. My friend did tell me that his house may be haunted because of the history of the house and because of strange things that he saw and heard. He doesn't believe in ghosts and the paranormal as much as I do, so he didn't pay much attention to anything moving and any strange sounds. The day I moved in, he told me about the history of the house. He told me that a family of three, a mother, father and their daughter, lived in the house when it was first built years ago. Their daughter committed suicide in her bedroom upstairs, the only room upstairs. Several years after, the mother and father moved out of the house. A few families bought and sold the house until my friend's parents bought it as a fixer-upper. They began remodelling the house. The stairs were removed and the second storey was completely sealed off and a drop ceiling was put in to cover the old ceiling and the opening to the top floor. His parents were aware of the history of the house, so I assume that was the reason they removed the stairs and installed a drop ceiling. I have never been in a house that had such a strange layout or floor plan. The living room and the two bedrooms were in the front of the house. The dining room was on the other side of the living room wall and the kitchen was behind the dining room at the back of the house. The one bathroom was at the end of a long hallway. That's it, just a long hallway with a bathroom at the end of it. Anyway, when I first started noticing little things out of place and odd sounds, it was cool and fascinating. We would hear footsteps down the hallway, we could hear things moving, things would fall off the kitchen counters, you know, nothing alarming and most of the activity happened in the daytime. But things started happening more often, and slowly it started to annoy us. The activity was happening day and night. My friend and I started distancing ourselves from the house by partying all night and crashing wherever we passed out. 
we would stay at our parents' or grandparents' houses. All of this back and forth, from friends' houses to parents' houses, drinking and partying all the time, had me worn out, and I needed a break. That's when I decided to head out there alone, for some peace and quiet. We hadn't been out there for days, and I figured if I watched a movie at a high volume, or listened to some music loudly, I wouldn't hear anything, and I'd be fine. If I got bored with watching movies or TV, I'd go jump on my drum kit and jam out. But little did I know that the shit was about to hit the fan. I was sitting there all alone just watching TV. Our TV was hooked up to a stereo, so we could watch movies and listen to music as loud as we wanted. So I'm watching some show, and the stereo cuts off. We had an entertainment centre that held the TV, the stereo, a few lamps and a clock. Suddenly, the stereo cut off, but the TV and everything else that was in the entertainment centre stayed on, even though all of these devices were plugged into the same power strip. Dead silence. I began to hear whispering, like several people whispering at once. The whispering was coming from the kitchen, which was at the back of the house. The whispering kept getting louder and louder, until I had to go outside to see if the whispering was my mind playing tricks on me. It was quiet outside, no whispering. There was a storm coming in, so I did hear thunder, but no whispering. As soon as I got comfortable, I hear the whispering around the side of the house, and it was gradually getting louder. Dang. I go back inside. It's quiet inside. Then, boom. As loud as hell. A clap of thunder. It scared the heck out of me. After cringing from the tremendous thunderclap, I relax and start down the hall to the bathroom. The hallway always made me feel uncomfortable. It was a long hallway that went to the bathroom, nothing else. I started down the hallway when I hear this creaking sound directly behind me. As I turn my head, I saw from the corner of my eye the front door slowly creaking open, and something I can only explain as the fight or flight response told me to shut the damn door now. So I dove towards the door, sliding across the floor on my stomach, crashing into it and slamming it shut. I remember feeling like all of this happened in slow motion. Anyway, I slide across the floor and slam the door shut. I jump up, and the most intense feeling that someone or something was right behind me. You know, when someone is trying to sneak up on you, and you get this bizarre feeling that someone's right there. I don't know how to describe that feeling, but it's not a good one. Anyway, it was more than a feeling that something was behind me. Whatever it was, it felt angry or enraged, and it wanted to hurt me. It honestly felt like I was about to be violently attacked from behind by who knows what. This feeling was so intense that I closed my eyes, bent down, and tensed up preparing for the attack. Then, nothing. The feeling was gone. Instantly, I quickly turned around, expecting to catch a glimpse of my attacker, only to see nothing. After realising that there was nothing behind me, I grabbed my wallet, my hat, and my keys, and I left. When I came back, I began to pack up my belongings and move out. I rented a U-Haul so I could get all my things out of that house in one trip. I have witnessed several paranormal events in my life, but this one was the worst. Sadie Barker 
leave a couple of dollars on the grave of Sadie Barker and you may just appease this witch. Concord Cemetery is the final resting place of Barker, who was buried alive by her community in the 19th century for witchcraft. Don't go walking in the graveyard at night though, because the locals swear that they see her wandering among the tombstones. The story begins back in the 1800s. The Shelton family had been in the area for years and were a well-known family. They were said to have had many beautiful daughters and strong sons, their most beautiful daughter being Olivia. She was said to have long black hair and sapphire eyes, as well as a very shy and sweet demeanour. She apparently had every man in town begging to do her bidding. One day, Olivia was on her way home and came upon a young woman wearing a dusty cape, staring at the ground looking for coins. Olivia had never seen the woman before and was very curious. She knelt beside the woman and could tell that she had not bathed in days, and figured she was tired and hungry as well. Olivia asked the woman who she was and where she was travelling to, but the woman gave no response. Olivia assumed that the woman was simply shy and said, Well, you shall come with me to my home and we shall sort it all out. The woman followed her. Olivia brought the woman home and her mother and sisters began to clean her up. As soon as the filthy cape was taken away, the woman's breathtaking beauty began to shine through. She had blonde hair, jade eyes and alabaster skin. While she was in her early twenties, her frame was so petite that she easily fit into Olivia's clothes. The other girls were instantly jealous and curious as to who this mysteriously beautiful woman was and why she did not talk. As the weeks went by, the girls all grew increasingly jealous of the beautiful stranger, whom they had now named Sadie Baker. Even the mother was now feeling resentment for Sadie and wanted her removed from the home. But the father was infatuated with the stranger and refused to let her leave. Months went by and Sadie was now the woman of the house. The wife had been moved into an upstairs bedroom and the daughters were forbidden to leave the attic room that was prepared for them. Sometime later, the mother died from starvation. Sadie was now living the life of a queen, even as the household finances dwindled to nearly nothing. The husband and his sons indulged her in jewels and fine clothes. She soon persuaded them to rob and steal from local people and stores to provide her with even more embellishments. It is said that every man who came before her fell under her spell. Soon the women of the town all gathered and decided to kidnap Sadie and prove that she was a witch. They staked her to a tree and performed numerous methods of torture, yet Sadie only laughed at them. They even tried to burn her alive, but the flames would not touch her. Finally, they bound her and buried her alive. From that day on, it is said that men are particularly drawn to her grave and that her beautiful, flawless spirit can be seen following behind men. If a woman passes by the grave, they must place money on the tombstone, or it is said Sadie Baker will come for them and take away their men. No Eyes by Jeremy Atticus When I was born into a very young family, my parents didn't have much money, so they moved us to a small town and into a trailer park. It wasn't much, but it was home. 
At first, my mum would notice me staring into corners and smiling, occasionally giggling. She really didn't think anything of it because I was just a baby. However, as I grew older, she began to notice me acting strangely. I would talk about a little boy with no eyes. At first, she thought he was just an imaginary friend, but then she began to notice that I hated him. Usually, children don't hate their imaginary friends, but I was a weird kid. She told me that one time when we got into the car to go somewhere, I huffed and told someone by the name of David to get out of the car. Of course, she asked me who David was. I told her, as always, that he was the boy with no eyes, and that he needed to get out of the car. She wrote it off as childish nonsense and drove to our destination, but she did notice that I became happier when we turned off of the end of our road. She later told me that I had said the boy couldn't leave our road. Another story she told me about was one night, between 12 and 1, she heard a blood-curdling scream from the living room, and of course ran out in complete terror to see what was wrong. She found me curled upon the couch farthest from my room. She asked me what was wrong, and I told her that the little boy with no eyes had picked me up and tried to bite me. My mother was beyond worried, and my dad thought I was just being a dramatic child. For a while, she said, everything was quiet and nice, and she thought David had gone away. But one summer afternoon, she had tucked me up for a nap, nice and tightly. As soon as she shut the door, she said she heard a slam, and it took all of her strength just to open my bedroom door. When she walked into my room, I was still on my bed, sitting up. Quietly, I told her that David had done it. Worried, my mother went to her friend Ella. Ella was a psychic, and my mother usually goes to her when she's worried about something spiritual. Ella had told my mother that an orphanage had burned down, and the little boy with no eyes named David had died in that fire. I decided to research fires in my town, and there was actually an article about a fire in 1913. In the article it says that in 1915, just two years after the business district was gutted by a major fire that few know about today. The fire is mentioned briefly in a few areas. I'm not sure there was an orphanage that burnt down, because there is little to nothing about the fire that took place. It's really frustrating how little I can find on this. As I grew up, I began to talk less and less of David, to where I didn't talk about him at all. Then my mother and father talked about finding a house and moving out. On the last day I was in the trailer, I was lying in bed. It was right before everyone woke up, but the sun was shining through my bathroom window. I hadn't opened my eyes yet, and I don't know how, but I felt like someone was standing in front of my bed. I knew if I opened my eyes, I would see something. So I just peeked a little bit, and I saw a pitch black shadow move from beside my bed into my bathroom and disappear. I guess David was saying goodbye. I mean, if it was David, wouldn't it have tried to attack me or scare me? I mean, from the things my mother told me, he was evil. Dolls Moving and Midnight Whistles by Mandy These experiences happened when my daughter and I lived alone in an old house owned by a friend of my mother. 
My daughter Sarah wasn't much more than a toddler, and I was heavily pregnant with my son. His father and I were technically together, but we were still living separately until we could find a place to suit all of us. Sarah and I slept in the biggest bedroom, me with my bed and her in her crib. That room stayed cold, so cold I asked my dad to check the heating, as it was an ancient system, but he found nothing wrong, so I blamed it on the huge windows in the room. After a couple of weeks, Sarah started screaming whenever she was left in that room alone, and my bed collapsed two or three nights in a row, so I gave up and we slept on the couch together. Well, the next development was whenever I got up in the mornings, the bedroom door would be locked from the inside. I started keeping a butter knife on hand to pick the extremely old lock whenever I needed to get in the room. Apparently, after these tricks got no big response from me, it resorted to messing with my daughter's porcelain doll collection. Sarah had a large collection of antique dolls, arranged on a built-in shelf in that bedroom. Every morning after picking the lock to gain entrance to my own bedroom, the dolls would be rearranged and turned to face the wall. Okay, no big deal, it's just irritating. So I continued to ignore it. Another notable experience while living there was one night I got up to pee. Not unusual, considering I was pregnant and peed on average once an hour. The bathroom and dining room share a wall, so I was sitting there half awake and suddenly heard whistling clearly from the dining room. About the time I registered the whistling, it turned into a tune that I still can't quite place. It lasted long enough for me to be certain that yes, I was fully awake by then, and yes, it was a tune before it stopped. We eventually moved after my son's father and I found our own place. All I know about the history of the house is that my mum's family friend bought the large amount of land it was part of to build a new home and decided to rent out that little old house instead of tearing it down. It's still there, and I wonder if it's still occupied by my irritating, whistling friend. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. You can also find me over on the creepypasta.com official YouTube channel where I do creepypastas Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. So, until next time, sleep tight.